It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as Doctor Who, Netflix, and Doctor Who podcasts. He'd show it every now and then. I mean, his character, uh, he would show that he, that he was serious under under all the jokes and playing around. And he would act like, oh, I don't know. I, I know this sounds like I'm describing Troughton or something. But like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Ooh, I'm bumbling. But actually, the whole time. Like, like uh, what's his name? Like, Columbo. Like, I'm all yep. bumbly yep. and I don't know. Ooh. I love that about Matt Smith as well. Yeah, McCoy too. They all, all three of those had that similar element. It was only the writing I just couldn't get behind with with Matt Smith. Just all of that, like I said, the like weary god thing. And I know that's what they were planning to do with McCoy, and I'm so glad they didn't because I think it would ruin that doctor as well. Well, there was the weary god aspect, but then also with both of Moffat's doctors, there was the space Sherlock aspect. I did like the space Sherlock aspect. Um, There's a strain mm-hmm. of that through Smith to. Capaldi, and that was kind of cool. I thought. Yeah, that was cool. Like making the doctor like a, like a functional. How did Sherlock describe himself? In in the Moffat Sherlock, he said, "I'm a highly functional." Um, oh, I wouldn't remember. Well, I think he said he's a functional sociopath. I think, um, but that's not what I was going for. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I even though I wasn't a fan, I I still miss those days of Doctor Who fandom because they're so hyped for the show. Like, there's still people who are hyped, but I sometimes feel it's just performative. Well, I was hyped for the show at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was hyped for the show. I was just happy to see the, the fandom thriving, even if I didn't love what they were doing with it. Me and Josh, at the time, when we were just talking to each other, like, we all the time, it, it was the idea that, even though it was, like, even though we were getting into the, the golden age of television again, like in 2010, 2009, in our minds anyway, Doctor Who was like legitimately in our conversation of like, we think this is in the top five best shows on TV currently. Um, We used to kind of talk about that. But then, oh God, oh God, no. It's like, it's not even in the top 100, you know? No. no. It's like in the top 300, like currently or something. Um, (laughs) Like it's not like how it was, or you know, yeah. So. Yeah, and it's sad because I mean, maybe it could be with different fucking people, but in an RTD, God. I don't know if he can deliver. Maybe he can. I don't know. <laughs> like it takes somebody to come up with some shit like the Squid Games. Um, 
Yeah, and that's the thing. The landscape of TV is so different now. It's hard to even think of it in the same league. No, it's weird to me. What's weird to me about Squid Games is that it's so up my alley. It's so like the kind of like a fun thing for me to watch or something. But it's weird to me. It's weird and not weird at the same time. That while it happens to appeal to my taste, it happens to appeal to the whole fucking world's taste at the same time. Uh, and that's what seems weird to me because I because usually you know I like these movies like like let's say just Dune. I get that that's popular in sci-fi circles, but in my real life, like if I when I'm at work, yeah, I, I can't wait to watch Dune. People are like, what the fuck is that? Like, what are you talking about? Huh? Okay, whatever. Like, no one knows what I'm talking about. Um, uh, but Squid Games is another thing that appeals to me. But everyone's fucking into it. It's then that's weird to me. Like, it's it's like broad base appeal. I don't know why. Like like a Disney movie, even though it's nothing like a Disney movie, yet it somehow appeals to everyone. Yeah, it makes me curious if it was just lack of exposure for so many years for people where they would just see something and they'd be like, nope, I wouldn't like that. It seems weird. It seems off base. But now Netflix just shoves things to everybody, and everybody, I guess, just sees trailers. Well, and I'm not as confused it. about that as it pertains to Squid Games, but I am confused about it. it. This is similar to what I was just saying earlier about Battlestar Galactica and how it didn't do anything when it was on NBC, briefly, um, even though it was so popular on Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, Cobra Kai. You know, it hmm. did two seasons streaming on YouTube on nobody's radar. Or ver- only the hardest core fans of of Karate Kid were the only ones who cared, and the rest of the world just like hit snooze, not interested in this low budget um, revival of Karate Kid. And then as soon as it hits Netflix, bam, just like explosion. Actually, the more befuddling one is Stupid Manifest. That's just a stupid show that was on NBC or CBS like five years ago. Um, like not that great at all, and I don't know why the fuck that blew up uh, on Netflix because that shit is just dumb. Um, at least these other things we're talking about are good. <laughs> Manifest is like is a bad thing that blew up, yeah, because of the Netflix magic. Yeah, lots of dumb shit blows up on Netflix though. And then how does Netflix have good shows, or at least shows I think are good, that fail? Like how the fuck does that work? Because I mean, because they're Netflix. Like Altered Carbon. Now, granted, the second season is not not nearly as good as the first season, but still, like, it's fucking Netflix. I'd been so unengaged in the second season, I forgot that show even existed. Wow, that was a great first season, but yeah, I just could not get into that second season at all. Uh, it gets better if you finish it, and it, it it redeems itself, but it's no, it's not as good as the first. Was it the guy from Suicide Squad who was in that first season? Absolutely. That guy has been low-key blowing up for, for a while now. Yeah, because I remember watching Suicide Squad and being like, oh, I like this this actor. I don't know what I like him from, but I know I like him. So I guess that's it. <laughs> He's really good in... Uh, I think there's only one season, but they made the television version of Hannah based on the movie Hannah. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a series mm-hmm. based on the movie. That was on Amazon. I watched it, and it was very high quality, great um, spy espionage type stuff. Great series. Looks super expensive. Filmed on location all over Europe, and 
And mm. he's like he's like the lead in that. He's like really good in that. Yeah, I've considered watching that. I always I always liked the potential for that movie. I just never really cared for the movie itself. I always thought it kind of let itself down. The series is better than the movie. Mm. Yeah, the, the series is better than the movie. But again, it sucks. It's just one season. And so then what do you do with that? Yeah, it's like uh, the Night Manager. I keep trying to put tell everyone watch the fucking Night Manager. It's a brilliant series. Uh, one of Tom Hiddleston's best work. And when I say it's just one series, and it kind of ends on a not necessarily a cliffhanger, but setting up for more stories. People are like, "Oh, it kind of ends unfinished." Eh, I don't care. I'm like, "Oh fuck!" But it's this great series. <laughs> oh, it sucks though. When, even though it's not as amazing as it once seemed, like firefly man i think mm. after going through that nobody ever wants to experience that again yeah that that's fair that's fair yeah good old firefly you don't hear too much talk about that these days that's for sure oh yeah because all the stupid me too shit which well uh, yeah that's fair i don't, don't want to get into that because <laughs> no because i think it's i i think it's i have the the minority opinion of i simultaneously think it's bad behavior and also, I don't give a fuck about punishing after the fact either. So, like, almost nobody fits into that area of the Venn diagram. Yeah, I just don't quite understand if that behavior is enough to say that you don't get to work again or people don't get to enjoy your art. I mean, not getting to enjoy your art, I think, is absurd across the board. But you don't get to work again, I mean. Like, I... But but I think we've discussed... I think we've had our disagreements there, too. <laughs> about the level of uh, if it was bad, I don't know. I know, I know, I know people who are on the other side of the argument. When I when I say this, it, it does nothing but make them angry. But whatever it is, if it's that big a fucking deal, and I, I don't care what it is, uh, what type of harassment or evil behavior it is, if it's that bad, address it in the moment. Do something then. But then once it passes, it passes. Like, and, you know, and, and I know people don't like to hear that who are on the other side. Um, but, yeah, that's what I feel. I, I don't know. I've always said if it comes down to criminality, that's a different thing. Like, if you're committing crimes on your set, like, there's this one director, uh, Victor. Silva. But again, you gotta do it then. You gotta do it then. Uh, you can't do it like 15 years later. Well, this, this director that I was mentioning, he did get it done then. He actually went to jail because he uh, molested a child on his set. There you go. A movie called uh, Clown House, I think it was. And he still makes movie to, movies today. And people still work with him. And people protest, like, why is this director still getting work? Sometimes there's young people in his movies. They're like, he's a known sex offender for kids. Why the fuck are you allowing your kids on his set? <laughs> so that I understand, just because it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, he's been—it's been clear, clearly proven the crimes he commits on sets. Wire Studio is still hiring him, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, it was like in the '80s, I think, when he committed his crimes, and I don't know if there's been anything since then. So, I mean, uh, well, redemption, but he's a child molester. <laughs> I'm always wondering if and when uh, James Franco will return to the scene. Mm. Um, like, will it be 10 years from now and people would have kind of at that point forgotten and be like, fuck it, and then he'll just come back all of a sudden? Or will he never come back? I don't know. 
Franco? I think he's still directing. And I was never like a massive James Franco fan or anything like that. But just like, what's his name? Um, oh no, not just like him. Uh, I was gonna say like Adam Sandler, but that's not really great. But I like what I like when they're in good things or when they're good in things, mm. and you know that happens sometimes. But the thing is, Adam Sandler's done far worse or bad stuff than James Franco did that I'm aware of. Oh, I don't know anything about Sandler's allegations. Boy. No, he never did anything wrong like that. Oh. I'm talking about just being in bad movies. Oh. <laughs> I'm talking yeah. about just being in bad movies. That's fair. Like he's in so many bad movies and then he and then he just has these particular roles in like four movies that I think are just really good mm-hmm. and the rest is all shit. But I'm saying Franco doesn't have like a whole bunch of shit work. Yeah. Uh, he just has fair. mixed bag for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't pay any attention to Sandler. But when I like James Franco, I like him. I don't either, but but Punch Drunk Love used to be one of my all-time favorite movies. I still like it a lot. It's just not one of my all-time faves like it once was. Oh, that reminds uh, me. It was also one of the first Criterion things I ever saw was Punch Drunk Love. Oh, cool. Oh, I was going to say, I just recently watched um, I just recently watched Heart 8 for the first time. Maybe like uh, two weeks ago. You ever seen that flick? Hard Eight. I have to look at it. Yeah, it's the first uh, PTA film. What does that mean, PTA? Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, and John C. Riley is in it. Real young, real dramatic. I think it was before a lot of his comedy stuff. Every time I see new roles from that movie, or from that guy, I'm always just like, man, this guy is such a great actor. Like, he doesn't get enough praise. Have you heard me and Sean talk about him on the podcast? Oh, yes, I have, yeah. <laughs> I know you appreciate him, I just... He's like, I know, but he's like the most frequently reoccurring actor, like in, <laughs> in Best Picture Podcast, and he's like in all these roles in movies that we never saw him in, and he's like fucking amazing, mm-hmm. in all these dramatic roles that we had no idea, he's just fucking in everything. Yeah, it's, it's so funny that he... Part 8 from 1996? Yep. Yeah, and Paul Thomas Anderson, right out of the gate... I mean, he, he's just a great filmmaker immediately. It's crazy when you see things like that. Where it's like, where'd this guy come from? And how is he this good so fast? Like, it's just crazy. Are you talking about Riley or Anderson? Uh, Anderson. That was his debut okay. film. Okay, Anderson. Oh, okay, 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 okay. i never heard of Heart 8. Uh, but I mean, I know Punch Drunk Love. I know There Will Be Blood. I know Boogie Nights. Obviously. Oh yeah, and we'll definitely mention uh, uh, There Will Be Blood today. Talking about the great Paul Dano. Oh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's the role that I, anytime I think of Paul Dano, I immediately jump right to There Will Be Blood. It's probably his best role, I suppose. Yeah, so far. Yeah, and Sam Jackson's in there. I have, I have no fucking idea what this movie is. Like, I don't remember this at all. Yeah, I don't know how I I don't know anything about the release. I don't know if it had much of a wide release. I mean, I feel like Sam Jackson would have been. Enough and I started to... in those days, and that came out in the years when I was sort of aware of everything Gwyneth Paltrow was in at the time. Oh yeah, she's great in that. No fucking clue what Hardy is. No fucking clue. Yeah, kind of a different role for her too, from the stuff that I've seen from that period. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely worth checking out if you get the the chance. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman. Someday, someday, 
Yeah, I actually just started a, a Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective. Or at least I was going to before Halloween. So it's on delay now until uh, after this month's over. But I will return. So I still haven't seen his three most recent movies. Uh, the Phantom Thread. Um, yeah. Uh, what's those other ones? The Master. I feel like there's one more. Yeah, I want to see that too. Oh, he did Magnolia. Oh, yeah, I've never seen that one. Yep. Oh, and Heron Vice. Oh, I just saw that for the first time one or two years ago, and it was it was so up my alley that movie. I so like movies like that. Yeah, and I've been I've been on a big Tom Cruise um kind of hype train lately, so I'm excited to see him in that for whatever reason. Well, that's <laughs> a weird train to be on. I know it. It's so strange. No, that was a that was a great movie, but it's the kind of movie that'll divide people. Like you'll watch it and think and feel like you got so much out of it, like one group and then the other group would be like what the fuck what was the point of watching that <laughs> yeah people yeah it's kind of like that love hate type thing so i just noticed something with imdb today because i frequently go to imdb not not just for casts and stuff like that i frequently go there because i want to know the tech specs mm. for this particular movie and when you log in like through your browser, um, they no longer show you that. Um, it says you have to be like an IMDb Pro member to see the tech specs. Right, so I gotta go check this out. This is crazy. Hmm. But, but on the app, it still shows me the tech specs like oh. normal, like on my phone. Um, but when I'm logged in as myself on the actual website it it says i have to upgrade to see that it's so stupid that's funny yeah because i was just looking at them on the heart eight uh, imdb and i was like wait i see it right here so <laughs> oh that's funny yeah but i don't understand because i don't know what else i'm missing because i i just the tech specs i i want to know all the time for all these movies i watch and some shows i watch and uh why is that behind a paywall? And what else is there? Because that's just the one. I see everything else that I would normally look for is available. Oh, maybe the trivia is missing too. Let me see. Nope. The trivia is... Everything's there. It's just not the tech specs. At least the stuff I usually look at. Yeah, here's a question for you. Did you ever frequent the uh, the message boards back in the day? Which message boards? Oh, for IMDb? No. Oh, yeah, that's... That was a gigantic fountain of knowledge for me back in my early days, like the the late 2000s, 2006 on. I would just spend all day on there. Once upon a time when Netflix was still, like, a big part of it was the mailing, and then, like, this maybe was just the beginning of when they were getting into streaming. Netflix, when you were on the computer, had, like, a forum section. Oh, wow. Where people would share their comments and stuff about different movies and things. I actually used to dabble in that here and there. Um, but it was barely like, I don't know, not even two or three years later that, they, that it got shut down or whatever. Yeah, I think they shut down the INDB ones like maybe like five years ago. I was so choked. <laughs> I was still using it, not not as regularly, <laughs> but still occasionally using it. Does the, does the Gallifrey Embassy still exist? I'm afraid of Google. I've never once visited that site, so I'm not I'm not sure. Oh, I used to. We all did. Um, back in the uh, mid-2000s. 
Yeah, I remember hearing about it. And I just never, never bothered. I used to, and I used to, I used to dabble in those, um, whatever, uh, what do they call forums or whatever as well. Oh, I think it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it exists like on Facebook, but I don't think the old actual website. I don't think it exists anymore. Yeah, it probably went down in early 2018 or 2017 when everything else died. Do you know that, or are you just saying that? No, I'm just assuming, because that's when everything went bad. <laughs> but, you know, you know, it was like the how the hurricane like affected... That was like the beginning of the end of Podshock. Was the hurricane... Was it Sandy? Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah, oh, yes. It didn't kill Podshock instantly, but that was the beginning of the end. Either Hurricane Sandy or Ken leaving, but... It, it wasn't, I mean, those both happened, like, you know, near in time. I only know of Podshock because of occasionally Ken Deep and uh, whoever else would show up on the TARDIS Tavern. That's the only way I know that show. <laughs> A little bit, I guess, before my time. Oh, still there? Yeah, oh. so no, I'm just, this is the first time I've ever looked at the Wikipedia entry on Podshock. Which I never knew existed until just now, and now I'm just looking at it and seeing what it <laughs> says. Yeah, who were the other people on that show again? It was Ken. It was um... James and and uh, Ken James and um, um, Lewis. Those are the originals. Lewis, yeah, Lewis Trapani, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Trapani used to show up on a lot of different podcasts. Wow, you really don't know your podcast history. And that's the origins of all, of all the... Yeah, I completely missed out on that show. Oh my god. Because Podshock is its own unique thing. Like, uh... Like, like, it, like, um... Um, like... Like Ed Wood. <laughs> like... And Louis Trapani is Ed Wood. And <laughs> Podshock is... Is his creation. And it's, it's this weird thing that... And, like... Oh, it is such a unique thing because because Lewis and Ken had a mutual friend who was like a producer on like C-list productions like straight to video productions like in Southern California hmm. uh, they, um, wait what did I say his role was did I say producer uh, I think you said producer yeah what I mean not not producer uh, it's the person what do you call the person who works on a show or movie who is like it's a person who kind of does everything but also like wrangles the cast and there's a term for it i mean a, a, a show business term I keep wanting to say gaffer but i'm 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 pretty sure gaffer is something else <laughs> i think they probably call him like a production assistant or something like that perhaps that might be what it is but anyway they had this mutual friend uh who's also named Lou, but I can't, oh, I always forget his last name. But anyway, this guy was a mutual friend of theirs and he was in Southern California. And like I said, he was like a, what did we just say? Uh, PA? Production assistant, I guess. Yeah, for straight to video type movies and productions like that. And somehow he got to know um, the guy who plays um, Benton. <laughs> 
Because he also lived in Southern California mm. for years. Oh, boy. <laughs> and so so he got Benton you know, to show up the first time on Podshock. <laughs> and if you know how he is in interviews and stuff, mm-hmm. like he's a character unto himself. <laughs> and then to mix that with Louis Trapani and Ken Deep, who are not the best hosts of anything. <laughs> um, oh, no. Like that was the Bella Lugosi was Benton, like being on Podshock, probably not knowing, understanding what a podcast is, talking into a microphone, not really knowing who he's actually talking to on the other end. Um, you know how he is, right? In interviews, like oh yeah, John like, Levine. He thinks Benton was, yeah, John Levine. That's it. Um, you know, like like larger than life, <laughs> like just crazy. And so, yeah, oh my god, those are like weird, like the strangest appearances of anybody on a podcast is John Levine being on Podshot. Just since you mentioned him, since I, I think I told you I do a, a Halloween playlist every year, last year I picked this random British little uh, B-movie called Dark Places, and he's in it. He plays a doctor in it for like five scenes, John Levine. I got so pumped, I was like, hey, it's John Levine, that crazy motherfucker, like what's he doing he's in this insane. movie? <laughs> And then if you ever see him in real life, even his appearance looks so weird in his older state. He's he's like a he's like a what is that thing called in England? Um, like a spitting image marionette or something. <laughs> you know what marionette that is? I know, but but spitting image is this particular brand out of England. It was a show. It was popular in the eighties, and people of my generation who are British know what it is. Because it, it was like a, a puppet show that lampooned like current day like politics and stuff. So there was like a freaky Margaret Thatcher puppet and a freaky Ronald Reagan puppet and a freaky Gorbachev puppet. And they looked like caricatures, like gross, grotesque caricatures. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that's what spinning images. And so they're like, they're like, hyper hyper realistic looking people that's how john levine looks in real life like he's the spitting image um puppet of himself like hyper realistic well he is a muppet to some degree john levine yeah what is what a funny guy one of those weird uh weird people in the doctor who kind of community actor community i should say yeah but that guy lou uh i can't think of his last name the one who was their connection in real life, he's the coolest guy ever. And if you meet him in real life, like I met him in Galley, you you get why he's a PA and why he's good at it. Mm. Because he remembers names of everyone. Um, but even if you're nobody, you know, he doesn't just remember celebrity names. He knows everybody's name. And he used to blow me away that he'd always be like, hey, Eric, what's going on? And I'd be like, how does this guy remember my name? Like... <laughs> We're not friends like that or anything. And he's like, oh, he knows everybody's name. Just you know, so he has that, and he he acts the same around actors, like known actors, unknown actors, random people like me. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. Like he treats he treat he naturally treats everyone exactly the same. Like you're no better or worse. Um, and so uh, this one year at Galley. Only one time I brought my cousin with me, um, who's a lot younger than me, uh, 
and not really a Doctor Who person. Hmm. Um, but my cousin, uh, so he's never been to Gallifrey or anything. He only knows barely anything about Doctor Who. And we meet Lou, and I'm like, oh, Lou. He's like, who's this? I'm like, this is my cousin. He's like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, what's... And, and Lou, because it's how he is, he's like, if you need anything, just let me know. Just let me know. Anything, let me know. So my cousin was sort of being sarcastic, but he just said, could you get us some weed? <laughs> yeah, I remember that and he story. Was, and Lou was just like, oh, yeah? And he was just like, huh? Uh, and he was like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's like, I don't know anybody here who has weed. But he was like, uh, I don't know, you know? And I was just like, uh, yeah. I was like, dude, don't even worry about it. Like, You know, it's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like a day or two later, he just showed up and he had a little bag of weed. And I yeah. was like, God damn. <laughs> Holy shit. Now I know why this guy is the guy. Because that's just how he is. <laughs> yeah, I used, to, I used to love those... Uh those galley special episodes those are always some of my favorites because i never got to go so i always appreciated hearing uh either our mostly almost cutaway or the tardis tavern i always appreciated those yeah lose, lose something else yeah i don't think i'd go now so yeah <laughs> i mean maybe i would no, there's no point but it sounds like a star wars celebration or something where it'd be like just too huge and... no it's not no no no, no it's not no no no. Oh. no 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 that's not no no it's not that it's too huge that's not the problem the problem is that it got too insular. That's the problem, from my point of view. Hmm. Um, um, I was gonna say this when, because this is what I felt like was another, another part of the fall of Gallifrey. So, um, so from Gallifrey's inception, from starting as a really small little con, uh, must be, it must be coming up on its what, like thirty-fifth anniversary or something now. But when it first started, um, you know, it was a small thing. And, you know, every year it got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then when the new series started, oh, that's when it started really like, oh, we have, you know, 300 people more than last year and 400 more than 500 more than last year when the new series came around. And uh, and so, you know, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And when around circa 2010, to 2012 that's when it hit like its maximum like when they hit like 2500 or something 2500 like 2500 they finally got to that point at that time and then that's when they said because they always said the appeal of gallifrey is that it feels like a small con not a big con meaning everybody has access to everybody including like especially lobby con since they all the all the guests hang out at lobby con and then you can just obviously mill around for free you know um and so they always said, the people who make Gallifrey always said, that's the appeal of our con, is it has a small con feel. So once they hit 2,500, they said, that's it. We're never expanding anymore. We're, we're going to keep it select. And then, because Doctor Who was still popular and the con was still popular, it became like how PS5s are now. Like, like now it was like, oh, shit. Like, um, oh, this year they sold out. Like the first time they cut off, like the expansion, you know, it the con sold out in ten months, and then the next year it sold out in six months, and then it sold out in two months, you know, from the time they start selling tickets. Mm-hmm. And again, that it was it was it was capped at twenty five hundred or whatever. And it used to piss me off because it, it created this scarcity and frenzy 
and it fucking pissed me off. And and then people were like in the in crowd, like, "Oh, I got a ticket," and everyone else, "Oh, I can't have a fucking ticket." And then also, you see, when they were expanding, you know, they went from smaller venues to bigger venues to bigger venues, till eventually they got to the Marriott size venue. Um, but again, they stopped, right? I mean, they stopped expanding. So then it was just stuck there. And I know it's been renovated now, but that's kind of it's kind of a shitty hotel, a shitty old um, LA hotel. And it, and it, and it feels like a little bit of like a slum, a little bit. Or I don't know what it's like with the with the refresh that it has now. But before the refresh, it kind of felt like a little slum. And see, if they had kept expanding, you know, they could have gone to nicer, bigger spaces. Mm. But they kept it in, in that same place, and then it. And then I felt like because of the the limitations on tickets, it became this thing of the haves and have nots and the people who had galley tickets were the haves of Doctor Who fandom. And see, that's what I started not to like a lot because they had this elitist attitude that was growing at that point that that we are the select 2,500 and and we're like the pinnacle of fans or whatever. Mm. And see, that to me was also why I started to dislike going there because they became the, the elitist fans of Doctor like the anointed elitist fans. And then those those who had who were part of the popular podcast or who were like best friends with like a particular guest like Fraser Hines or something. Those so those people felt like they were the creme de la creme of this elitist group of fans. And that's where I started to find these people, and then later, you know, Josh and Sean caught up. That's when, because that's when I started to feel like they were starting to become insufferable. But see, Josh and Sean didn't feel it at first because they were in that same group too. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, it wasn't until they got kicked out of the group that they finally realized, like, how corrupt the others had become. Yeah, and I was gonna say just on that uh, that note, I also never listened to Radio Free Scarrow ever i only listen to the episodes that sean would appear on but otherwise i just could never stand that show oh my god, <laughs> I, oh my god. it was definitely my favorite doctor who podcast or most listened to for like a good four year run or something five year run it, it was because see Podshock was dreadful and always was but it was the only game in town for years. Mm. Um, but it, it was the original, but it was dreadful. The way it was produced and, and the hosts. I mean, the hosts weren't bad people. They were just bad hosts. <laughs> um, and it was dreadful. And then when I actually started listening to Radio Free Scarrow, it was just so much better. Like, oh, they speak concisely and they don't they don't get lost in the woods in a bad way. There's Lost in the Woods in a good way, but Podshock was Lost in the Woods in a bad way. Uh, because they would say the same thing for 25 minutes. Like, just go around in circles, reiterating the same point. Because, um, uh, yeah. Uh, Lewis knew how to edit ums and ahs, or those types of things, but he didn't know how to edit dead repetitive ends. content, which was, there was, yeah. oh god, so much. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, because their episodes could be like three hours, but oh, they should have wow. been like seventy minutes. Oh wow! 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But so Radio Free Scarl was like they never go more than like fifty minutes. You know, they hit the points. The guys are genuinely funny. Mm. Um so so Radio Free Scarl was just seemed like the greatest podcast ever when you were used to pod shock. Yeah, it was probably the time I, I got into Doctor Who podcasts when I started to get into Doctor Who again. It's around 2011. And I just always got the sense that the Radio Free Scarrow guys just were like Doctor Who sycophants. Where when it came to the new series, everything was great, including just the absolute trash. And so I just couldn't stand feeling like I wasn't listening to real opinions. <laughs> Podshock was the worst version of that. Really, mm. any episode, any episode of Classic or New Doctor Who, it everything was discussed as if it had to be three and a half stars or better. The way based on the discussions, everything in Doctor Who was three and a half stars or better, mm. um, no matter what it was. So yeah, and that that's what used to make me mad. Yeah, I think I, I think the reason the Tardis Tavern resonated so well. For me, was was because it always felt like no matter what, Stephen Sean were always, you know, it, whatever they felt, that's what they were saying. Didn't matter if it wasn't popular, they were just. <laughs> that's what I always wanted to do. Um, that was always my approach when we covered something classic on MHC. I say classic because mm -hmm. I, I, you know, you already know I generally loved all the new stuff at the time. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, oh, man, Pachuk was fucking crazy. And... And then Radio Free Scar, if you had listened to it regularly in those years when I listened to it, I was, mm -hmm. I only appeared on the show maybe twice, like in vocal form, and I was never really good, and I was always, and I was on for like maybe four minutes or something, <laughs> uh, twice, uh, and not just me, it was, it was usually me and somebody else and somebody else, um, but uh, and I was probably just let on because I was like the the token um, person of color, even though I had nothing interesting to say at the time um, on their show. But I was more known as like the guy who would tweet in or would tweet something to the show. So if you listen, if you watch the show during those years, I was the guy who was like, oh, by the way, Eric on Twitter said, or, you know, Eric on Twitter or, or Eric... Or, or Chris would be like, oh, you know, Eric told me this. So I, I would get mentioned a lot like indirectly um during those years so that was the thing oh that's but, funny that's cool i guess i mean it means nothing but but i mean that's how that's how involved i was in the show is that i was like, like kind of like how mark cockrum was known on mhc okay i wasn't mark cockrum mm. though because mark cockrum's on the other level <laughs> but but i was sort of like that like this guy, yeah. yeah, I was always proud whenever uh, Sean or Steve would call me their uh, frequent correspondent on the Tardis Tavern. I always loved that. <laughs> oh, there you <laughs> Back go. Back in the day. Yeah, Mark was always ours. Yeah, and it's funny, I only ever started listening to uh, Mostly Almost Cutaway because Josh. Right. He would show up on the Tardis Tavern so much, I was like, I gotta see what else this guy's doing. So, right. <laughs> that's how I found Sci-Fi Party Line and everything else. And I, and I remember I barely knew him at first. I just met him like once or twice at Gallifrey, barely knew him. I can't even remember why I asked him to join me on the show. Um, I, don't, I just know I did. And I just knew, like the first time he was on MHC, I just knew, oh shit, I need, I need this guy. I need this guy on the show. He's 
such such more the encyclopedia encyclopedia whatever has that knowledge of Fast <laughs> Doctor Who, which I do not have. Not like not like he like no one does like him except for Steven, which is obviously why Yeah, him and Steven their run on the memory cheats was another amazing phenomenon that will never be duplicated again. Yeah. Yeah, he was the biggest heartbreak of that big Doctor Who falling out, losing him from the podcasting community. I was like, fuck, like this guy was such a great That voice memory cheats I cause I loved that show, Memory Cheats, when it was the two of them. But to me, that thing was its own amazing, unique thing that just worked. Like, just like the shaken not stirred shit was just like this magical shit that just worked. That had no business working. Mm -hmm. uh, But it just did. There's no fucking rhyme or reason, looking back, why the four of us would be joined in a podcast endeavor. There's no fucking rhyme or reason to that. (laughs) But, but it happened somehow and it worked it worked great some really great stuff even in the star trek stuff it stayed great mm-hmm. for a long time even some of those uh uh high council episodes was there two of them Do you know who toby Haydock is yep oh of course Haydock's all over the special features everywhere. so i <laughs> have never known the guy personally of course i would see him at gallifrey but it's not like we ever spoke really or any type of relationship on the internet or anything but one time, I had a brief conversation with him at Galley. He was all, hey, uh, oh, I'm Eric. Oh, oh, Mostly Harmless Cutaway. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, you do the Mostly Harmless Cutaway? And I was like, you know of that? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, I listen. He's like, oh, I really like your show. I was like, what? <laughs> so I had that. That was like... the. The highest celebrity notice I was ever aware of. I'm like, what? I was like, Toby Hayek listens to our podcast? Like, what the fuck? And so, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that's cool. That's that was cool my moment, moment for a second. I was like, oh, yeah, this is your yeah. show. And I was like, really? Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like he used to show up just before um, the Doctor the Writer's Room finished up with Doctor Who. I feel like he used to show up on there quite a bit. So he was in with that, with those two. Yeah. And good for them. Good for them. I, I know he enjoyed that show. I think he would send them feedback. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. Oh, Doctor the Writer's Room? I, was just, uh, I, listen, I used to listen. Man, at one point I listened to like 10 different podcasts. Doctor Who podcasts. Like on a regular basis. Um, but uh, even I had my like limitations on like how many I could listen to. Yeah, once I left my old job. I used to work nights, and I would just listen to podcasts the entire oh, shift. Oh, me too. Since, yeah, since I stopped that job, I just I, I have to be much more selective now. Most sadly. of my Podshock and Radio Free Scarrow listening was when I worked overnight by myself. Uh, and, yeah, just listen to that shit. All that oh, shit. cool. How long did you uh, do that for? That was... That was... That was uh, I can't think. It was like that was like twenty, that was like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, when I was working full time at night, solo by myself, Oof. doing my own thing. It's a hell of a gig. I even <laughs> used to, I even because I had so much time on my hands at that time overnight. I actually did a lot of my editing at work uh, with my little oh, laptop. Cool. Because I was just sitting there, 
And so I actually edited a lot of my podcasts at work um, overnight. It's pretty amazing to be able to do something like that on the clock. Podcasting was a was a paid gig at that time for you. <laughs> yeah, at least on the editing side. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's such a weird thing for me to think back to.